Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you, as always, by InsideThePenguins.com, a proud affiliate of the Hockey News. I'm your host, Nick Berlanski, joined, as always, by Nick Horwat and the Penguins. They went out there and they beat the best team in the National Hockey League on Tuesday to kick off their Pacific Northwest road trip. A lot of it was due to the hands of Sidney Crosby, as we've seen over the last couple of weeks. We'll talk a little bit about Sidney Crosby and his ability to will this Penguins team forward to keep them in contention and if he's going to be able to get them over the hump over the next six or seven weeks before the end of the season. We'll talk about that in the opening segment. We also have a mock trade for Jake Gensel that we want to discuss between the Penguins and a Western Conference team that they're going to be seeing in the not-too-distant future. And then there's the Ryan Graves dilemma, something we've talked about ad nauseum this season, but it was part of our mailbag on Tuesday. We didn't get to this question, so we want to make sure we give it some time here at the end of this episode. But Horwat, let's start off with the Sidney Crosby thing. Obviously, we've talked about Sidney Crosby all season long. He's having a heart trophy caliber season, especially if he gets the Penguins back into a playoff race. But it seems like he's the one guy on this team that is unwilling to let this team die. The way he performed on Sunday against the Philadelphia Flyers, the way he performed on Tuesday against the Vancouver Canucks, he scored less points, but it felt like, you know, it felt like he was a little bit even more impressive in that game against the Canucks for some reason. What have you thought of Crosby's performance, especially since Jake Gensel has been absent over the last 6 games? It's been a passionate passionate response to, you know, your the best lineman you've ever had going down. Sidney Crosby <laughs> is you're right not letting this team go. At bare minimum, not letting this team go quietly. I'm going to have to go down kicking and screaming. There's still a few handful of points out, but if there is anyone who can single-handedly change the fortunes, it's Sidney Crosby. And you know, for almost 20 years now, there's always been the discussion of how or the reliance on each other of Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, or how whenever one goes down, the other one usually steps his game up. I mean, they're both still in the lineup. Um, but let's be real here. If Kenny Malkin's not playing at the same level he used to, and what Sidney Crosby is doing is akin to stepping up in this situation where the other one is unavailable. You're, that's the kind of Sidney Crosby we're seeing. We're, we're seeing a dominant um, player that is out there doing everything he can to will this team into the playoffs. There's no other way of putting it, really. It's, mm-hmm. you know... Uh, picking up an important goal against the Flyers to kick off that uh, insane uh, contest against uh, for the Penguins. Picking up a pair of assists and against the against the Vancouver Canucks, one of the top teams in the NHL, and both of those assists going to uh, you know, being part of goals for Carter Kell, who got off the Schneid. Mm-hmm. You know, also Sidney Crosby assisted on a goal, assisted on a Raquel goal against the against the Flyers as well. So he's doing that thing where he's also elevating his line mates um, so they can play at a better uh, at a better level. It's prime Sidney Crosby again. It's mm-hmm. He lost traction in that MVP race, um, but these Penguins believe they can still do it and make the playoffs. And I'll, let me tell you, it doesn't matter how many points Sidney Crosby has, that conversation will get loud once mm-hmm. if, if, if this team mm-hmm. can find a way above the gray line. Yeah. Yeah, like I mentioned, obviously the Penguins have been playing some decent hockey as of late. They enter tonight's matchup against the Seattle Kraken with their third best win streak of the season. Now, that's only three games, but it's keeping what little playoff hopes the Penguins had alive, and a large part of that is due to the fact that Sidney Crosby has been on another 
planet at this point over the last couple of weeks. You look at what he's been able to do since Jake Gensel went down with that upper body injury in 10 or sorry, in six games, he has 10 points, four goals, six assists. He also has 56% of the shot attempts at five on five, 58% of the expected goals and 56% of the scoring chances per natural stature. Simply put, he is hitting that extra level that we all know he has, but the question becomes, can it be sustainable for him and the Penguins? Now, Josh Yoey, who's covered the Penguins for an extensive period of time, put this out on Twitter, I believe it was yesterday, saying, quote, a couple weeks ago, numerous Penguins told me Sidney Crosby's going to try and will them to the playoffs in the aftermath of Jake Gensel's injury. Since then, the Penguins are 4-1-1, and and Crosby has 10 points in six games. The Mountain to climb is mighty, so too is Sid. And I think that's something that we're obviously going to be able to sit back and watch and experience is what Sidney Crosby is going to do for the second straight season and really a desperation spot for him and the Penguins. And he even talked about it following the Penguins' victory over the Philadelphia Flyers on Sunday. Here's what Crosby had to say about the Penguins' precarious position in the Eastern Conference standings. Well, I think we've proven at different times. I mean, the, the games in hand don't paint the prettiest picture, especially when, you know, you know, regardless of, of how it is, I think it's it's still going to seem like a climb when uh, we have that many games in hand. So it, it doesn't give us the best chance when you're when you're looking at it that way. But if we just take care of things, get ourselves back in the picture a little bit, um, that's all we have to do. So we're just going to take it a game at a time. And I know everyone says that, but it couldn't be more true at this point for us. And we just got to continue to get points. And I think we all believe that we can get ourselves back in it. Thanks. That's Sidney Crosby following the Penguins' 7-6 victory over the Philadelphia Flyers. And as we mentioned, he went out there on Tuesday and, yes, picked up two assists. But I think what was more evident was the fact that even outside of those two assists, he was doing everything humanly possible to try to make sure the Penguins came out on the positive side of things against a very good Vancouver Canucks team. Like we said several times in this segment already, he is getting to that level where there's very few players in the NHL that can match him or even slow him down. And the problem with that is, is you shouldn't hope that he has to get to that point. But that's where the Penguins are at this season. It's where they were at last season in a similar situation. And what did we see happen? Sid ran out of gas. In the final 14 games of the year last year, Sidney Crosby had 10 points, 4 goals, 6 assists. And the Penguins finished 6-7-1 and one, and 1 point shy of the playoffs. So that brings us to this year. When you look at a team that has... Seven points between them and the final wild card spot in the Eastern Conference. Seven points between them and also the third position team in the Metropolitan Division with five and four games in hand, respectively. Do you think that Sidney Crosby this year can pull off what many believe to be unthinkable and get this team back into a playoff race? I tell you what, I think so. Uh, there's been something different with Sidney Crosby this year. It's um, you know, Last year, it was he had that... He had that MVP discussion, but it fizzled quickly and it never really came back. It was just sort of a lot of it was a lot of dark spots around the team that um, it, it, the vibes weren't there. This time around, I, like I said before, um, the vibes around the team are different. You're seeing Sidney Crosby give that extra effort because he doesn't have Jake Gensel. Because he might not ever have Jake Gensel again, by the way. Let's remember that. Um, he doesn't have Brian Rust right now. Um... Evgeny, he doesn't have Evgeny Malkin the same way he normally has. The power play hasn't been there. He has to find other ways of contributing to this team. It's where where it's negative things that are forcing Sidney Crosby to do this. 
there's something about it that, at least in my head, makes me feel like he's not going to allow this team to lose. He will do everything he can to climb this mountain and put the team entirely on his back. He's going to need the help, that's for sure. But um, if if the right pieces can contribute the right ways, like let's say Ricardo Kell bangs home a few more, mm-hmm. uh, let's say... Let's say Jay Cancel sticks around past the deadline. There's that always that option. That becomes a good piece. Brian Rusk returns to health. That becomes a good piece. Let's say, let's say Emil Bemstrom scores six goals, even though people may not want him to. That's a good piece. That's a net positive for this season. Mm-hmm. Um, you just have to hope he gets the help because he mm-hmm. he shouldn't be slowing down this pace, regardless of who's in the lineup, who's with him, who's not. But the, he's going to need the help around him. I think he can do it, but it's going to be mighty difficult. I don't think he can pull it off by himself. And you've mm-hmm. kind of alluded yeah. to it, danced around a little bit. But that's that's in general, that's what's going to happen. It'll be fun to watch him try, mm-hmm. certainly, and because we know that's exactly what he's going to do. But you look at the last three games, and I mentioned it. It's the Penguins tied for second longest win streak of the season, and it's only three games. You look at what they've been able to do in those three games. They have a power play goal in each of them. Two of them on Sunday against the Philadelphia Flyers. You look at what he was able to do in Vancouver. First period, he was otherworldly. Second period, he was pretty good. Third period, he tailed off a little bit, but who was there to step up in his place? Valtteri Pustinen, Andrew O'Connor, and Evgeny Malkin had a really good third period. You look at what Lars Eller was able to do with a goal and an assist in that third period and in overtime. Chris Letang stepped up. Eric Carlson stepped up in overtime. Tristan Jari needed to be on his game just to keep them in the game in the first place. And that was when Crosby was firing on all cylinders early in that game. He can't do it by himself. And I think what we've seen from this team throughout this season shows you that more often than not, he's going to have to. He hasn't had to in the last couple of games. The power play's been good. He's gotten some secondary scoring. Like you mentioned, Emil Bemstrom getting a goal on Sunday was nice. Ricard Raquel jumping in with goals in a couple straight games. Drew O'Connor had goals in three straight games before Vancouver. That's great, but when looking at this team holistically throughout this season, they have shown and proven time and time again that they're going to eventually just leave it all on their stars. That was the plan coming into the season that we all remember Kyle Dubas saying, we're going to rely on the top six for scoring, we're going to rely on the bottom six for defense. I say it, sounds like a broken record. Honestly, it feels like it's tattooed to the back of my brain at this point, basically how many times we've, we've mentioned it. But the top six, even you know around them, the second line has fizzled out and disappeared for long stretches. Ricard Raquel and Riley Smith, who are playing alongside Crosby now, have both fizzled out for long stretches through this season. So with 26 games in 48 days, it feels like it's going to be up to Crosby to will this team back into a playoff race, Mm -hmm. which is the first part before even thinking about willing them into a playoff spot, is just getting them close to even within that two to three point range where they can be in striking distance of the Flyers who are in third place in the Metro or the Tampa Bay Lightning who are in second place in the wild card positioning. Yeah, it's it's going to be a tough race. And if you want a more grand scheme of a team outlook here, um, when Kyle Dubas had that presser, the first one, or maybe not, the, you know what I'm talking about, the one after the Coyotes lost, or the Coyote before the Coyotes game, I should say, the win. Um, the, I saw a tweet from uh, Bob Grove talking about the Penguins need 96 points to have the average amount of points it takes to reach the playoffs. 
Uh, that would put them on a 33-18-5 pace. Mm. Or 33-18-5 record to finish out the year. Since then, I've been keeping track, the Penguins are 16-9-5. Aside from the overtime losses, they're right on that pace. Mm. So there is some sort of leniency to fall back on in saying that they're sort of there. They're sort of getting there. They're a little over halfway on that number um, games-wise with still some uh, room to breathe in terms of some some uh, those games in hand. And as of right now, at least three in a row, they're winning those games in hand. Now they have to take full advantage and... I mean, they're holding on to that road. They're holding on to that pace, and that's without Jake Gensel these last few games. That's without Brian Rust these last couple. I think it's going to be an interesting little run. I mean, the next... Oof, we're at about a week. Hmm. We're at about a week. The next Eight week's days. going to make quite a world of difference, almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Crosby, if he falters this team isn't good enough around him to pick up the slack. There just is no picking up Sidney Crosby slack from this team. It's it, it's not something that I would at least expect. I could be surprised, but when I look at the performance of this team, when I look at the overall skill level of this team, if Crosby goes on a two- to three-week slump, there's no way this team is going to be able to recover or even stay afloat at the level that they're at right now, and staying afloat isn't going to be enough, and that's the problem. If they just had to stay afloat and just play 500 hockey the rest of the way, that's one thing. But like you mentioned, they have to play like 650, 660 type Mm -hmm. hockey the remainder of the way to make up the ground. And Crosby even said in that clip we played a couple minutes ago that, yeah, the games in hand don't paint a pretty picture, but... We're just going to try to take it one game at a time. That's what the Penguins are going to do, and it's going to be difficult for them if they're looking at the picture from a very bird's-eye view because when you look at it that way, the chances look very, very slim for the Penguins. But, you know, they've won three in a row. That's the one thing is you fall back on it, and they've beaten teams in very different situations. You have the Montreal Canadiens, who are a team that, Yes, are technically similar to the Penguins when it comes to the standings, but they're not a team that's really going to push for a playoff spot. You have the Philadelphia Flyers, an Eastern Conference team that is holding on to a playoff spot, but has played in that position that entire season. And then you beat a team that was fighting and gunning for a President's Trophy. So they've beaten teams all throughout the spectrum of the NHL. They need to do it consistently. Three games in a row is a nice sample size, but... I feel like to get back into this thing, to really give themselves a shot and really give themselves an opportunity, they need to rattle off maybe another two or three in a row in this current stretch and probably have to pull off another win streak of four or five games just to get in the conversation. Now, again, is it impossible? No. Is Sidney Crosby capable of doing ridiculous things? Yes, we've kind of seen it over the last six games. Can he do it? For the remaining 26 games in such a short span, we've talked about the March schedule and how hellish it is with games every other day, back-to-backs every single weekend. Is he going to be able to keep his level of play that high, especially fighting from a position of weakness outside of playoffs with plenty of ground to make up where every single loss is going to feel like the end of the world? That is going to be an intriguing storyline to follow. If there's any player in the National Hockey League that can do it, I think Sidney Crosby is probably one or two on that list. But it is a, as Josh Joey said, it is a mighty, 
mountain to climb. So we'll have to keep an eye on Sidney Crosby and what he's able to do. A big factor in whether or not he'll get some help is the NHL's trade deadline. Jake Gensel, his primary line mate for the past almost decade, is going to be the biggest storyline over the next eight days. We'll talk about a mock trade involving Gensel and a Western Conference team right after this break. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. Obviously, Jake Gensel's status, his situation, his contract is going to be heavily on the minds of everybody that follows the Penguins, whether it be through work as we are or through fan bit fandom, which is most of our, our listeners here. But it's going to be one of the closely monitored situations, not just for Penguins fans, but also just around the National Hockey League. He is shot up to number one on a lot of you know, analysts trade boards. There's a lot of belief that he is going to get dealt. There is some underlying belief that he's going to get signed. Obviously the number came out yesterday, eight to 9 million might be what he's asking for. I don't know how much I believe that. I listened back to where that came from. It, really sounded like he just kind of shot numbers out. So I wouldn't put total faith in eight to nine million as a quote unquote mm-hmm. report for what it's worth. That's about what, you know, I would, I would personally predict. So, I mean, there's that sort of aspect to it that maybe it's just sort of the popular number. Everyone's clinging to eight, nine. I would throw 10 into the conversation. Yeah. I would think it leans closer towards that nine, 10 number. I don't think that he would sign for $8 million. And if he was going to sign for $8 million, why wouldn't he have signed already? No, that's Kyle's that's, trying to get younger. I mean, maybe that's the maybe that's the whole thing. Is he says you need to give me a very big bargain deal, or maybe it's the years, or maybe it's the clauses. Who knows? There's a lot that goes into these contract negotiations, other than the grand total of the number. But the Penguins are currently in the Pacific Northwest, visiting two teams: Vancouver on Tuesday, Edmonton this weekend that have been heavily in this conversation for Gensel. Gensel is with the team despite being on injured reserve, despite not being able to really come back during any of these games. So maybe he's just on display for them there. Maybe the general manager just getting to watch him a little bit in morning skate and some practices. Maybe they're just, you know, trotting him out there saying, this is what you could have. This is what you could buy. And trying to get that price tag to go a little bit higher is the Penguins. But yesterday we learned that the Oilers in particular have a young defenseman looking for a change of scenery. 22 year old Philip Broberg has not yet been granted permission to seek a trade, according to Frank Saravalli of the Daily Faceoff, but it seems as if he's on his way out of Edmonton. He hasn't been able to find his way into the NHL roster at a consistent basis. Looks like he's going to be on his way out here in the next week or likely to be on his way out here in the next week. Would he be good as part of the return for Jake Gensel, Horwat? Oh, I forgot my mic. My mic was muted. <laughs> I would say... It- Obviously, that can't be the the main piece. That I, I just no. don't think that can be. Emphasis um, on part of the deal. Yeah, okay, <laughs> if he is part of the deal, then yeah, absolutely, by all means. I mean, you consider you have to really dive into what we mean by part of the deal because um, look at some of the big trades in Penguins history, and you know, part of the deal uh, doesn't mean much really. You know, it, we look at the Phil Kessel deal as a slam dunk, but uh, did we forget that the Penguins also acquired? See, I don't remember his name now. Another name along with Phil Kessel. Uh, Was it Nick Spalling? No, he's the one that went the other Spalling way. on the way back. Yeah, yeah. but it's it, there is like pieces that could come with 
Mm-hmm. You know, but, but for what it's the worth, one that stands out to me is Pascal Dupuis in the Marion Hosa deal. Yep, I was going to say Jared McCann with Nick Bukestad. Yeah, um, I mean, it's absolutely these side pieces that come into that are acquired along with along with the main attraction uh, mm-hmm. on multiple occasions in, in recent memory for the Penguins um, have ended up being the more fruitful asset. The mm-hmm. The, th- the throw-in piece is something to also really focus on. They can't be taken for granted. If the Penguins are acquiring a, a, a throw-in or a name of sorts to mm-hmm. not only make the trade work, but to add value, uh, they could turn into something because you never know what happens with said player. You just don't. Maybe they catch fire. Maybe this is the right system for them. Maybe that change mm-hmm. of scenery really helps. Mm-hmm. Um, it provides a big boost for quite a lot, and for what it's worth... Philip Roberg specifically achieves the goal of getting younger, which oh, yeah. seems to be. I mean, if work if Kyle Dubas is looking at Jake Gensel and saying you're not young enough for this team, then yeah, <laughs> then then going for a 22 year old Philip Roberg is definitely what he's looking to do, and I don't mind that piece either. That's a good to answer the long way of answering your question is yes, that's a good piece. Yeah, he's a six foot four left shot defenseman, two hundred and twelve pounds on the last year of his rookie deal. He was a eighth overall selection of the Edmonton Oilers back in 2019. And when you look at Cap Friendly and their little scouting report from before the season, called him basically a tra- transitional defenseman with a big body who's not very physical, but he's average in the net front area. So he's not coming in to be. Brian Dumlin. He's not. Mm-hmm. He's coming in to be somebody that could be a third pairing defenseman for the Penguins, somebody that could solidify that third pairing and potentially grow into something more. But he's a guy that can move the puck. He's a guy that's good with the puck on his stick. And that's a good thing for the Penguins who want to be a transition style team right now. And a big body is never a bad thing for the Penguins, especially if he uses it just at all. Like he doesn't have to be overly physical. He doesn't have to be Brooks Orpic, but as long as he's more physical than Ryan Graves and is able to use his his physical gifts more than Ryan Graves, then I think we would take that as a positive, especially at the age of 22, especially for a contract who, yes, he's going to be an RFA, but he's not going to be able to command much after only, what is it, 79 career games at the National Hockey League level. So you're getting somebody who is going to end up being a cheap piece that could round out your bottom pairing and potentially move up as his progression moves on because he's only 22. And as we've mentioned in the past, defensemen sometimes, especially those who are to be considered defensive defensemen, which Broberg not, not isn't necessarily considered that entirely, but somebody that you're hoping would turn into that. It takes some time. It takes until you're 24, 25 for that to be the case. So I don't hate the, the thought of Broberg being a, th- a throw in in this deal. And it looks like he's right now in a similar situation to what the Penguins have on the right side. A lot of money tied up on one side of the ice, and he just can't beat out the guy that's ahead of him. And that's Brett Kulak. Kulak's making $2.7 million. So if he's not going to be, you know, greatly better, that's not a great word to say. (laughs) If he's not going to be overly, you know, more impactful than Brett Kulak, you're not going to keep him in the lineup over a $2.7 million defenseman. So it seems like he's stuck in Edmonton, hence the reason he might be looking for a trade or looking for a fresh start. So with that, you texted me this yesterday, obviously, as the story came out. You put it out there on InsideThePenguins.com. You can go check it out, the full story as to why Philip Broberg might be looking for a fresh start and why he's been linked to the Penguins by David Pagnota of the fourth period. When you sent this to me, 
I started putting a hypothetical trade together that we could discuss on today's episode. So here's what I have, and then we'll discuss the pieces and discuss who says no, whether it's the Penguins or the Edmonton Oilers. In this trade, to Edmonton goes Jake Gensel with 20% of his salary retained for this season and Pierre-Olivier Joseph, the defenseman. And in return, the Penguins get a 2024 first-round selection, a 2025 third-round selection, forward prospect Dylan Holloway, defensive prospect Philip Broberg, as well as forward Warren Fogel. Who says no, Horwat? and what are your thoughts on that hypothetical trade for the NHL's trade deadline coming up here on March 8th? It checks all the boxes for the Penguins. A pick, a prospect, and a piece. I think those were the main three that they've been sort of, you know, falling back on. Uh, I've, you've seen other reports that, you know, multiple firsts need to be involved, you know, or a first and a similar prospect. Um, these this seems to fit that, uh, that description. Mm-hmm. I don't say no. I just wonder where some of the guys would fit in the lineup, but I guess that's just mm-hmm. a problem that you figure out. Um, I personally don't think I'm saying no to it, uh, but this is also, again, we're dealing with the Western Conference team that we don't pay much, that we personally don't pay a lot of attention to, so trying to nail down how good a Warren Fogle could be is tough. Mm-hmm. Trying to nail down how good a Dylan Holloway is is also tough. Um, you said prospect, Dylan Holloway? Uh, he's played in the NHL a handful of games, 80 games played to this point in his career, but he's bounced between the AHL and the NHL. And he's similar to like a Jansen Harkins where he's great when it comes to the offensive production. The AHL just hasn't been able to translate it up to the end. Yeah, I was just kind of looking for, sorry, I'm reading through the, uh, the Hockey News yearbook, cheap <laughs> plug, uh, to kind of see where he stands with things. But um, yeah, it's... Not a totally bad deal. Plus, it it opens up that roster, not the roster spot immediately for Philip Broberg, mm-hmm. but it opens up that opportunity to, uh, with the P.O. Joseph portion of it, to sort of fill into the organization, mm-hmm. maybe start in the A, because uh, I believe that's where he is right now. He is, and yeah. then And then sort of grow the mold here, maybe find something toward the end of the season, maybe be a black ace for the postseason, sign a deal, give it that full go next year. Um, mm-hmm. those options are available and it just, it works out properly. So I don't totally say no to it. I'm also very bad at coming up with trade proposals. So, mm-hmm. but again, this is one that, uh, I like it so far. Yeah. I look at Holloway as a guy who's obviously a first round caliber guy. He was taken in the first round in 2020 by the Edmonton Oilers, 80 games played to his name so far at the NHL level, six goals, seven assists. And again, only 22 years old. And when I look at both Holloway and Fogle, I think that achieves Multiple things. One, Warren Fogle is a guy that is an everyday NHLer at this point in his career. I know a lot of people still consider him to be young, but he's been in the league for a while now. He's 27 years old. He is what he's going to be. If you look at the year that he's having this year, 13 goals, I believe 16 assists on the season. He's a solid middle six guy Mm -hmm. that can bring in goals, that can bring in some offensive production, and he's only at the age of 27, so he's not you know close to that age of 30. He's on an expiring deal, so you can sign him for a three-year deal, and he'd still be under the age of 30. So it brings some youth. It brings some offensive of production and he also brings a little bit of a bigger body to the penguins middle six somebody that's going to be a little bit more i don't want to say structured but a little bit harder to take out of the lineup we've seen 
all four forwards for the Penguins be taken out of the lineup for extended periods as far as top six is concerned this year. So it's somebody that could play up and down the lineup a little bit, especially in your middle six. So I like him. And then betting on two young first-rounders in Philip Broberg and and, uh, Dylan Holloway, I think that's the biggest thing for this one. Because any trade involving Jake Gensel, you're not going to get back equal value equal production from a Jake Gensel. But what you're going to try to do is get as many magic beans, give yourself as many chances to hit on those magic beans as possible. Getting an NHL caliber player like Warren Fogle right now to immediately put in the lineup, getting two prospects in Dylan Holloway and Philip Broberg to see if either of them are going to work out, not to mention the first rounder in next year's draft, which could be recouping what you lost with Eric Carlson. I think this is a good way to, Make sure that the team gets some reinforcements now, but also has a little bit of an eye towards the future and gets a little bit younger organization-wise. And I think that it might be a little bit too rich for Edmonton to bear because they might not want to give up on a Dylan Holloway. They might not want to give up you know, a first and a third and Holloway plus Broberg and Fogel. It might seem like a lot for them, but they're a team right now that it's it's now or never. How mm-hmm. many more years of, of Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl are you going to waste? And adding a guy like Jake Gensel, I think, makes up for that for them, even if it is right now on an expiring contract. I feel like that's going to be the toughest sell for them is the fact that they're going to have to do a lot of moving and shaking to be able to fit Jake Gensel's next contract under their salary cap next season. So that's to me is the poison pill. But outside of that, I think this is a good deal. If it would be the one that happens, it would be a good deal for the Penguins in return. Yeah. And everyone will always tell you when it comes to the trade deadline. And if you're looking to sign that next deal, a Stanley cup, you don't care all of a sudden if that, you know, turns it out to be the outcome of, uh, the first part of, of a deal. One thing that's really interesting, too, is that the, um, what's it called? The uh, TSN trade board placed the Edmonton Oilers' first-round pick as the number five trade asset. So maybe they don't care about it. it. That's very possible they don't care about it, but that's also, like, in terms of, like, rating. Like, it's just that, you know, it's that valuable. It could be a number, th- it could be a 30-second overall pick. Like, let's it just be, be honest. It could be a 30-second overall pick. I think that's just basically telling you that they will not be keeping their first-round pick this yeah. year. They will be trading it in the next eight days. It is <clears throat> up there because it is available. Yeah, it it could- is available for anybody that wants to give them a half-decent player. That's what, they, that's what they're willing to pay. So if they're willing to pay it, maybe this isn't such a ridiculous ask for the yeah. Penguins because they're already kind of have it in their mind that they're going to get rid of their first round pick. So it's already basically out the door. It's it's like girl math. You've already spent it in your mind. So what's losing it now? <laughs> it it could very well be a 32nd overall pick, although it is the Edmonton Oilers. It could also very well be a 16 or a 17 or whatever the first team out of the playoffs lands at. You never know with the Oilers, especially if their goaltending all of a sudden, once the playoffs start, falls to nothing like it did earlier in the year. Um, so there, There's a big swing that could come along with an Edmonton Oilers first round pick too. Um and that's just a fascinating, fascinating thing. I personally don't think the Oilers are the right fit for Gensel if we're trying to get deep into that sort of conversation, but uh, they just can't sign him after this year. They'd have to really do some moving and shaking and a lot of that math, like you mentioned. Uh, but I, that's just me. But, again, it's once, although here's the thing, once he wants Jake Gensel leaves Pittsburgh, it is not my problem to worry about. <laughs> yeah, if you can swing this deal at that point, you're just basically saying, good luck signing him in the offseason, thank you for all the assets, and we're going to turn the page here. Yep. Uh, but 
with that, we're going to turn the page on this uh, episode, talking a little bit about Ryan Graves in the next segment. What do the Penguins do with Ryan Graves at this point? Because you can't continue to have him handcuff you on the blue line. What can they do? What should they do? That's what we're going to discuss to close out this show right after this break. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast. We had a two-part mailbag episode on Tuesday. If you missed it, go back and check it out. A lot of overarching storylines that we discussed around the Pittsburgh Penguins. So if you missed that, make sure you go back, check it out. It's Tuesday's episode. But there was one more question from that mailbag that we didn't get to that I wanted to touch on. Alex Savorov asked, quote, Should the Penguins try to move on from Ryan Graves, if that's even possible, or let him develop and maybe get better next season. He finished it by asking, saying he has a track record of improving his game in his second season with a new team. So Horwat, here's the first part of this question. Should the Penguins attempt to move on from Ryan Graves either in the next week leading up to the trade deadline or this upcoming offseason? No, I mean, yeah, I think you can always attempt it. It's my I've been falling back on is genuinely who will be taking it. Who wants yeah. to recoup that? Um, so I would say, yeah, absolutely. Give it a, give it an attempt. Give it a shot. See what you can do, Kyle. But, um, you know, when it comes down to it, though, I think you might, ha- might not have a choice but to look forward to next season and seeing mm-hmm. what uh, sort of positive changes can come out mm-hmm. of next year. Let's rule out a couple things right off the bat here. Penguins are not going to buy out Ryan Graves. We went over that a couple episodes ago. That goes until 2030 or something like that, and it's a lot of money each year in dead cap space. That's just not an option for the Penguins, not to mention Kyle Dubas said that he doesn't like buying players out to begin with. Mm -hmm. So that's off the table. Retaining salary is probably also off the table for the Penguins. Five more years of retained salary. They already have one more season of Jeff Petrie at $1.5 million. They have one more season of Jack Johnson's buyout at just over $900,000. They're not going to tack on a third one, especially when they're about to get clear of that in one more year and be able to have a lot more room to breathe, especially if the NHL salary cap continues to increase as expected from Gary Bettman, which again, until that is actually in pen, set in stone, sign seal delivered, I'm not going to believe it. But... With five years remaining at $4.5 million, not to mention a 12-team no-trade clause, they might not have a choice but to give Ryan Graves at least another year. Because right now, the Penguins, they don't really have many options as far as where they can go in relief for him. As far as hope for next season for Ryan Graves, I don't think he can get much worse than he is right now, right? Yeah, probably not. It's, <laughs> uh, yeah, I would, I would assume that, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this is statistically and just overarchingly his worst season as a professional. It's his sixth season. He had three in Colorado, two in New Jersey. So this is his sixth season at the NHL level. It is easily his worst season at the NHL level. And I think part of that is because he hasn't really shown the ability to excel with either Chris Letang or Eric Carlson. And that provides another very scary portion of this conversation, which is what do you do with him if you can't move him? Right, Because I think both of us agree that it would be hard for the Penguins to find a trade partner that wants to take the remaining five years at $4.5 million without taking a future asset to help get him out the door. 
And I don't think the Penguins, you know, as Kyle Dubas has mentioned several times, he isn't really willing to trade off important pieces of the future to help the team right now. And I think that is especially so for getting a player out the door like a Ryan Graves. So it seems like they're going to be stuck with him going into next season. As, you know, as Alex said, historically, he's gotten better in year two with a team, but I'm not exactly sure how much better he can get when in a position where he has to play with two players in the top four that he doesn't really mesh with and his game doesn't really fit with stylistically. Yeah, somehow Ryan Graves has brought upon one of the most talked about players this season uh, in, for the Penguins is, is Paul Martin. And it, and we talk, yeah, when we talk to Jesse, he's like, that's not even close to a comparison. Right, That's and that's the big issue is that everyone has sort of gone to that well over and over and yet that doesn't mean anything because a we're dealing with a completely different person here dealing with a completely different team too um, and dealing it, with a completely different sport the sport is much different now than it was 10 years yeah. ago when Paul Martin was on the penguins that too it's somehow Paul Martin has grown into this sort of figure that we that the penguin fan base is still looking to but you know completely missing the fact of what's going on in front of them and I always vouch for how smart this fan base is, but there's one little gray area there. That being said, I think, sure, if I, everyone can firmly believe, and sure, I will also firmly hope that Ryan Graves can get better next season. Absolutely, yeah. by all means, because I'm expecting him to still be here next year just because who's going to take on that deal. I think <clears throat> I think Kyle's got too many other eggs in his basket, too, to, before he can even get to looking into a Ryan Graves contract or into a Ryan Graves trade because you figure we just had this discussion about Jake Ansel. That's probably priority number one on Dubas's checklist right now is figuring out what exactly is going to go on there. Then you have to figure who else in the Penguins might be on the trade block in terms of Ricardo Kell might be there. Riley Smith might be going home. Uh, you mentioned P.O. Joseph in that last thing. All of a sudden, maybe they're all, he's also fielding calls on all three main goalies in this organization. It's, then you get down to it and you figure there's a lot on Cal Dubas's plate right now. Can he mm-hmm. even get to something with Ryan Graves? Because no one's going to answer the phone on that. Yeah, it's going to take a lot of calling from Kyle Dubas's part. Not a lot of receiving calls on Ryan Graves, I would imagine. So, you know, I, I see your point there. I mean, especially with only eight days to the NHL trade deadline and so many other pieces that could be on their way out or on their way in for the Penguins organization, more likely out than in. Uh, but you know, when you look at the Penguins entirely, I think that's where a guy like Philip Broberg steps into this conversation. If you bring in somebody that is, you know, a higher level than a John Ludwig, a higher level than a P.O. Joseph, somebody that you can actually trust to play some top four minutes, maybe Broberg's that guy. Maybe you put him with Latang, leave Pedersen with Carlson, and you allow, I guess, one more year of Ryan Graves as a third-pairing defenseman. But I think all indications are, at least from the outside looking in, Philip Broberg is a third-pairing defenseman. So you're handcuffing yourself because can Ryan Graves, even if he takes two steps forward next year, can he play and perform well with Eric Carlson? Can he do it well with Chris Letang? That's a huge question mark going forward. And how long can you continue to handcuff your lineup? I think that's going to be the biggest question because right now that's where they're at. That's why a guy like P.O. Joseph is playing on the top pairing with Chris Letang is because 
They really kind of ran out of options. It was, well, we need to put somebody with Eric Carlson to unlock him. I guess it's going to be Pedersen, and there's nobody else outside of Graves that can really go up there and play with Chris Letang, so I guess it's P.O. Joseph. I guess that's the way that we're going in this direction. I guess that's what we have to do to try to get the most out of this blue line as we can. But the other problem is, this is a bottom third blue line in the National Hockey League, and they have $24.5 million, or 30% of the current salary cap, tied up in four guys. One of them is Ryan Graves. So this blue line is handcuffed. Maybe if he goes out there and has a great season next year, it's easier to sell him off with four years left playing better hockey. But again, that's probably the earliest you could trade him is maybe next year's deadline if he performs really well between now and then. Outside of that... It's a difficult position that Kyle Dubas has put himself in because he signed this guy for $27 million. And part of me, I don't remember if I've, you know, used this on the podcast or in front of a microphone or not. Part of me feels like he signed Graves, not thinking that he was actually going to be able to acquire Eric Carlson. Because if you had somebody else on that right side, if you had Jeff Petrie on that right side, it probably looks a lot better with Ryan Graves, probably fits a lot better with Ryan Graves than Eric Carlson does. So that's part of the things that has just run in the back of my mind is maybe they signed Carl or Graves not thinking that they would eventually be able to bring in Carlson. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I mean, regardless, I think at the time we both looked at the Ryan Graves signing as a good little addition. Maybe it was a touch long, but I think... Regardless, at the time, we thought it was a good move for the blue line. It was one of my worst takes ever on this podcast in five years. There's that that was a good move. It immediately blew back in my face. You're just lucky I can't remember anything else at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we've both had bangers for sure. Yeah. But yeah, it's when we when when that one was announced, we kind of fell back onto yeah, that's a good little signing because. I mean, first of all, it was Dubas' first big one with this team. So you kind of have that notch of, here's the standard, apparently. But, hey, I mean, sometimes things just don't work out. Mm-hmm. It just is, it, it's just handcuffed by, and anchored down by uh, that deal. Uh, if, if we're having this discussion, let's say he's a million dollars less and a year shorter, maybe it's a, maybe it feels different. Maybe it feels a little more, is movable. I know, but mm-hmm. he feels anchored in, doesn't he? Yeah, if it was only $12 million that you had to try to ship out to a team, it feels a lot better than, what is it, $23, 24000000 million that remain on that contract. So it's not it's Forget not an that. easy deal to move, and it's not a, it's not a contract that I feel like is going to be able to be moved without a lot of legwork being done, which means that it's probably not going to happen in the next eight days for cert for sure. Whether or not it happens in the off season, that's a different story. I just, I feel like the odds of that happening are very slim. Um, and if the penguins can't do it, I don't know what their you know options are as far as their blue line and trying to make it a little bit better next year, because this year it's just, it has not been good. It's been bailed out too often by the, uh, by the bottom six. It's been bailed out too often by the goaltending and, you know, you can't continue to bank on that and just have a poor defense. I think that's the biggest thing going forward is you're going to have to fix that unit. You're going to have to fix the bottom six as far as, you know, scoring goals. You're going to have to maybe find a top six guy for Jake Gensel. Who knows what the Penguins are going to be able to do, but they continue to try to fight on and try to make it to the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. I I don't know if they're going to be able to do it, but, you know, that road continues tonight and it runs through Seattle, Washington as they take on the crack and looking to expend their win streak to four games but that's going to do it for this episode of the tip of the iceberg thank you guys so much for tuning in we'll see you next time